My full name is Puce Level 13 Spar Extension 69 Down Messenger 420. My chosen name is Brent. I like the sound of the word, which is all the reason you need for a chosen name. My podcasting name is Fandalite. <laughs> Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where myself and Jenna uh, read and discuss the Animorph series by Kay Applegate in order. This week, we are doing the Elemist Chronicles, which I guess came out, was published at the same time as, as Book 48. And uh, while we had planned to read this one right before the very last book, 54, uh, we were advised very strongly by several <laughs> fans that it's really better to read it now. So we uh, we did it. You won. Thank you for the advice. Yeah, definitely, because I, I, I'd I like to avoid another Alan Fangor-style uh, sneak attack. Yeah. So the Elemis Chronicles opens with one of the Animorphs, we don't know who, dying and raging against the Elemist in their last moments. He responds by exhaustively detailing his life story from gamer to starship captain to prisoner to transhuman spaceship and ultimately to the godlike entity we know and tolerate today. Along the way, he name-drops a lot of alien species we'll never hear about again, spends some time living among Stone Age Andalites, attempts to enforce his will on the civilizations of the universe, and meets the Joker to his Batman, Krayak the Living Planet. They both end up falling into a black hole, which puts their consciousness outside the time stream, where they agree to engage in a contest of meddling with civilizations. And then, at the end of the book, he says to the dying Animorph, You mattered. And then you they did. die. You did good, kid. You did good. That'll do, pig. Yeah, you're a good boy. Come in. Good job. Head pats. Uh, uh, hey, Brent. Brent, I wanna, I wanna talk to you about my mental state going into this book. Okay, and then yeah. My mental state during it, and now my mental state now. All right, hit, hit me up. Lay it on yeah. me, Jenna. Yeah, so so we took a little bit of break in between recording the last episode and this episode, because uh, it's the holidays and you know we deserve it. We deserve yeah. it. And during that break, I read two other books. I read John Le Carre's, um A Spy Who Came In From The Cold, and I read Joan Didion's uh, Slouching Towards Babylon. No, Slouching Towards Bethlehem, I should say. And they were both very, very good and very engaging and well-written and complex. And I want it, I want so bad to read more books like that. And I love the Animorph books, and I love K.A. Applegate, and I love uh, young adult literature in general. I think it's a bad rap when actually most of it is, is very good. But they are written for young teens, and I, I worry that my mind is atrophying reading nothing but Animorphs for well over a year at this point. I mean, I read other things here and there when I can find the time. It's not like these books take a lot of time to read, but when I'm not reading them, I feel a low-level sense of guilt that I should be preparing for the podcast by reading more of them. Yeah, see, I basically just stopped reading anything but Animorphs and forum posts. <laughs> so but the shit posting is not really changing my expectations in terms of reading level. So I think that was your mistake, is reading adult books. I think you're right. All I could think of is uh, that part in 
um, Slaughterhouse Five, where he's a prisoner and he's working in that vitamin factory that produces like that vitamin syrup for mothers. And he he puts the spoonful of that vitamin syrup in his mouth because he's so malnutritioned that like just skimming off this vitamin syrup is keeping him alive. <laughs> and he, he describes this part where he puts it in his mouth and it's just like this awakening in his whole body as his body strives to absorb any nutrients it can from it. That's what it felt like to read John Lacar's The Spy Who Came In From The Cold and Joan Didion slouching towards Bethlehem. Speaking of Slaughterhouse-Five, Tuman <laughs> has come unstuck in time. He has, yeah. That's a fair description of what happens in this book. What, Hey, Brent, what happens in this book? So let me preface this by saying that I actually did enjoy this book. I didn't super feel like it had a lot of connection to the Animorphs mythos that has been established so far, uh, at least as has been exposed to us. But it did kind of feel like reading the setting chapter for a 90s fantasy RPG setting, like like reading the Forgotten Realms setting chapter, huh. where it starts a million years ago, uh, and then just goes and goes and goes. And by the time you get to the end, you're never going to use any of that stuff from the beginning. Does that make sense? It does. It did. It felt a little lopsided because we spent a lot of time hanging out with Illumis in his original kind of bird-like body. Yeah, and and his teen friends. Yeah, he and his teen friends and the girl that he has a crush on. It's just that. It's just that as soon as he started making rom- as soon as there were romantic overtures towards Aguella. I hadn't said that name out loud, and I just did just now, and I didn't like how it felt. (laughs) Well, look, let's just be clear, okay? This gamer, uh, this proud gamer who is pressing Y to pay his respects to his home planet, he he did not have a crush on Aguela. She Mm -hmm. sperm-jacked him with her pheromones that she Mm -hmm. shot out of her pods. I picture his spaceship form being made out of razor mice. <laughs> yeah, it's black, but it's got like red light highlights. Oh, yeah, RGB rainbow colors. Yeah. You were describing my actual computer. Just kidding. It's set, it's set to teal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a light up mouse too. <laughs> well, somebody's a gamer. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say when I started saying yeah. I'm well, disagreeing so with you, gamers, I, I, right? I enjoyed the book. Um, okay. I, it felt, though, like it was sort of a, a separate YA sci-fi trilogy compressed mm. down into one book with Animorphs prologue and epilogue. Okay. Like, I could definitely see the the Katarin civilization's destruction and the one, like, ship that now he's captain of, this plucky <laughs> teen who's, like, a, a brilliant loser. That that feels like it is book one of, yeah. of the Elemist trilogy about, I don't know, they run into a dystopian something. Who, who cares? Anyway, it felt like there was more there that just kind of got cut away because it's one book that's sort of stuck there to explain why this magic space elf is magic and space and bird person which has not been alluded to but okay yeah that didn't read to me while i was reading it but now that you say that it actually makes a lot of sense because there's that turn after he lands in father where suddenly all of the other characters are dead that was such a weird moment because i was like well what were you just fucking wasting my time for the first part of this book (laughs) 
like it there's so there's so much about all of them and then that sort of fades away as the elemis transforms so from like a character arc perspective i can see why that's important but from a how you are spending the limited pages in this book it did not feel quite right to me this is the god emperor of dune entry in the animorphs i think i will take your word for it (laughs) okay okay (laughs) Um, So the Elemist is a Katarin, a sort of quilled bird alien that spends most of their time communally keeping the floating crystal that they live on airborne. They live on these floating crystals that are growing and float above the volcanic surface of their planet, and they're all constantly holding onto it and flapping their wings to give it enough lift to uh, continue growing. Otherwise, it would eventually be too heavy and sink down. And uh, we open with him, <clears throat> the main character, Tuman, who goes by Elemist. That's his Steam, his gamer tag, <laughs> who uh, is is playing Sid Meier's Alien Civilizations <laughs> with his buddy uh, and losing. He gets his ass beat because he always tries to, he always tries to use the lightest touch possible and goes for the, uh, he tries to be moral, I guess. He tries to have the, the, the species that deserve it win uh, rather than the species that are the the most aggressive yeah i mean kind of it, it feels like he has a more poetic approach to the game i don't necessarily think it's always about who he thinks deserves to win but he he seems to have this kind of idea of beauty in the game like when i thought about because the, the opening volley or the opening game that we see is the oh god the vanga bus what are they called the the topanga That's, bands the topanga <laughs> the vanga the the Topanga Bands, they're on uh, TGI Friday. <laughs> the, the Panga Bands, he wants them... Katara meets of world. Evol- <laughs> Thank God it's Ketrin. He wants, he gets them to evolve by opening their cloudy planet, just like the parting the clouds like Moses in the Red Sea, just long enough for them to see the stars. And then that kind of jumpstarts their curiosity about the world. And I think that's very beautiful and poetic. It's not maybe the best plan. And do they deserve it? I don't know. It sort of echoes uh, his his actions later in real life, IRL, if you will, when he's <laughs> AFK and, mm. uh, and has developed some interesting capabilities because he he makes a small change that he thinks oh this is great and it works all right for a while and then that change ends up being the downfall of the topanga bands because uh the gunja wave tm catch the gunja wave can also see through that hole in the clouds and uh they invade and eat all of the topanga bands i have nothing more to say about that game because it's not important even though we spend a lot of pages on it i mean it's important for setting up the illumist's character because he has his neighbor lakava yes lakava his neighbor lakava tells him that he's a little bit childish and that he doesn't really see the necessity of the games but that the illumist has a good heart and he's a brilliant loser and that's why he gets chosen for this space mission jokes on lakava because the illumist had hidden potential all along and actually is the destined captain uh last of his race i guess the jokes on lakava i mean lakava is now a part of the illumist's reign because he downloaded him after they all died on father i hope people have read this book because the thing that i'm saying don't make sense if you haven't i they barely make sense if you have uh we were gonna go through this in chronological order it spends a lot of time we're, we're spending commensurate time he has this game that he plays <laughs> uh he gets 
chosen as a non-essential crew on their first spaceship, which they're sending out to make peaceful contact with the Capsians, who are a race that blew up uh, their two probes. And so they're trying to go out and say like, hey, actually, we're, we're cool. You want to be friends? Turns out the planet Ket was doomed by Twitch streamers. There is another crystal uh, city and the uh, the inhabitants started sending recordings of their alien civilizations games out into space and uh, they did not include a bumper that says hey this is all just a game uh if you liked what you saw click subscribe below you know brent even if they had even if they had included the bumpers you know come they wouldn't have they wouldn't have watched them they would have just watched the the middle part and then complained that there was no bumper that's how it would have been i'm a professional let me tell you (laughs) <laughs> I defer to you in this situation. Yeah. So Ket got swatted. All of the <laughs> all of the Katarans get absolutely <sighs> murdered by in, in a very brutal fashion by the Capsians. Except the- I think Brent, I think you're getting all of these alien names wrong. I think it's the Ketrans, and I think it's the Capisans. No, I think that's what's in peppers that makes them spicy. It's Capisans, C-A-P-A-S-I-N. Uh-huh. Capisans and Ketrans. Do you care? No, but boy, are <laughs> the people listening to this going to? Weren't you listening to what I was just saying? Will, will these names ever come up again? That's maybe. Maybe, friend. All right. Well, I'm just going to use the names of Star Trek aliens now instead. Okay. All right. So the Ferengi were absolutely murdered (laughs) by the Klingons, except for this one, uh, the the, the one research ship that was the crew had just gotten on to take off when when the murder started. And uh, they rescue a couple people from some other colonies, then take off. And we skip a whole lot of stuff. And then Tuman, the Elemist, is the captain of the ship. And uh, the people from the other colonies are all just nasty, scheming, no good nicks. And he's totally in a committed relationship with that girl that pheromoned him. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, you know, his good friends are all on the, the bridge crew, the ones who aren't dead. And they're looking for a new home. They all have personalities. We've grown very attached to them. Nothing will ever happen to them. And then they all die. Then they all die. That is... It was just so, it was really sudden. It felt really sudden, I guess, com- comparable to the, the distance we've come. Because, like, we had that that portion that's probably, like, the first, I think, third of the book that's more or less, like, paced very similarly. Like, there's some jumps ahead in time when he's training or, like, he jumps, he, there, there are jumps ahead. But then we get to this point where it's, suddenly it's, like, a hundred years later and he's the captain. And then there's, like, ten minutes pass and everybody's dead. Except for him in father he's in father so they pull up to uh this ocean planet and uh the book confirms that this whole series really is about thermals because the first (laughs) thing that he complains about is that the the air currents are not going to be fun to fly on there's not enough heat generation or whatever crystal up yeah there's a whole conflict between him and uh, one of the people from another city about whether they should keep trying to find a planet that they can inhabit as they are or rework their genetics in order to adapt to a planet. And since the Ketrans, Jenna, since the Ketrans <laughs> Thank you, Brent. and the Andalites share an instinctive claustrophobia and four eyes, I really thought that it was going to end with them gengineering themselves into <laughs> proto-Andalites. Mm. But actually, they all just die because this planet-size sponge knowledge Parasite? eater thing? Sponge, yeah. Sponge is the word used to describe it eventually. Yeah, it lures them in and, and traps their ship. 
and uh, sort of plugs into all of their brains and keeps them from, like, they're dead, but they're not decaying, and it can access their memories and stuff as if they were computer files, but he keeps Tumen alive for some reason. Because he's, like, bored. Yeah, I, I don't know why it was Tumen specifically. I kind of assumed all the rest of them more or less died in the crash. Oh, maybe. Uh, that was just my assumption. There's nothing really to bear that out. I know Lakava got really badly injured in the crash. Yes. I just assumed, I just assumed Tumen, I assumed since this is, was an issue apparently for father that probably most of the things he captures die before he can keep them alive and Tumen was just lucky right lucky questionable turn of phrase but so he spends centuries thousands of years is it thousands i think so i mean it's a, a very very long time very very long time playing games with father and losing because father wanted someone to amuse him and is a cartoon villain or also just a, a number of my ex-boyfriends Ayo. sometimes they just want somebody they can be in games and if you're better at games than they are because you're good at games and then you break up <laughs> Then you go find somebody else. And that's sort of what happens here? Kind of exactly. Actually, this, yeah, the the portion in this is just, I, I liked how fucking weird it was. It was very detached from the rest of the Animorph series. He, he beats him at music. He beats father at music. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Because father's yep. not creative. And I guess that the Ketrans did not have a musical tradition before because this is all very new to him. Yeah, and kind of new to father as well. Yeah, father thinks it's a game. Yeah, which I think is fair. They seem to play it like a game. So so he beats him at Guitar Hero. <laughs> then father goes off to sulk uh, and then comes back and then he starts beating him at everything. And then father goes off to sulk some more. And then he makes his move and starts absorbing all of the other dead people's minds that father had been using to put him in illusionscape this is it's the weirdest transhumanism uh mm. story that i've ever seen because most of them are like and then humanity uploads all their brains to computers and they live in a simulation there and this one it's like and then some tentacles plug into his face and uh yeah. his body keeps alive but he lives in a simulation with the the dead brains so very strange yeah i really liked it i thought it was very alien it was absolutely alien yes yeah i thought it was a, a really fascinating take on yeah sort of what, you, what you're describing the sort of internet of minds this web of minds that he just sort of takes over i really liked that yeah so he, he eventually takes the whole thing over it turns out that father is basically nothing without the brains of the dead to tap into yeah he's just like it's just like a sponge like it's just a sponge that was doing this based on some sort of instinct based on the things that had crashed in it but it has no real sentience of its own also good <laughs> yeah also just super weird very alien so props to that i did not see this whole thing with father coming no no how could you have right that's fair. Uh, so then there's a montage where Tuman finds the island that Father dumped all of the spaceship hulks on and spends uh, a couple hundred years, I think, maybe, uh, welding them all to himself. Pretty much, yeah. He finds the island of uh, elephant bones and then glues all the elephant bones to his body. And now he's like a bunch of elephant skeletons, yeah, metaphorically. He's a living spaceship. <laughs> yeah. Again, also pretty, pretty cool. I, I was trying to come up with something pithy because I was writing down Krayak, as he shows up here, makes me think of Mogo the Living Planet from the Green Lantern comics. Mm. And I was trying to come up with a cultural touchdown for a living ship, and all I could come up with was the Spelljammer from the D&D campaign of the same name, which is a real obscure pull, I think, probably. I 
Is it is it is it more obscure than your normal polls, Brent? I I feel like compared to that one character from the Green Lantern stuff that shows up occasionally, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of them was written by Alan Moore, and one of them was written by Jeff Grubb. I mean, based on your general your general gaming polls, is that a more obscure poll than normal? No, maybe. Okay. No, maybe. Okay, you can only you can judge that, Brent, because nobody else knows what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair the internet does but they're not here right now internet's not here right now brent you'd only have me and i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> i'm just gonna make up words and see how well you you go you roll with it <laughs> so he jumps around zero space in his new spaceship body for a while until yeah. he runs into these two species that are at war the jallians and the inner worlders mm-hmm. i know those are right because i wrote them down good for you those are the ones i didn't write down <laughs> by that point in the book i was like this doesn't i don't i don't need this so they're at war in space they're doing a blood space war <sighs> and he pops in and is like yo your war's done and they are not too happy about that so he creates an artificial asteroid belt between them and blows it up to a bunch of little meteors so that any ships that they send through there will get absolutely pummeled and uh thinks that's great i promoted peace and then goes around doing the same sort of shit uh the same sort of patriarchal imperialist bullshit to other species just all over the place and boy they all love him and he's an honorary member of so many species and everything's great and it's just cool uh and then he pops back into that system and uh they're they're all dead they're all dead and krayak is there this is when he meets krayak and krayak is all yo i've been looking for you for a while uh you know you you succeeded on some of them so i had to kill them myself but this (laughs) one you really fucked this up bro yeah look at what a fucking idiot you are look at what a bad job you did the whole universe can see what a bad fucking job you did illamist yeah you want to play a game gamer (laughs) shall we play a game what about global thermonuclear war let's go and so they just they hop around zero space all over the galaxy krayak busting the shit out of places and the elemis trying to preserve as much life as he can uh and then he sort of runs off and lives with some primitive andalites in a clone body for a while yeah because yeah why not why not everything about that sentence is ridiculous <laughs> why not why not why not why not Brent? why not why not just make make yourself a little andalite body go down and live with the andalites with a, a gun you do have a gun and they don't and so they really like you because you have a gun and you can kill stuff with it and that seems like an unfair advantage but okay the illibus they accept you as one of your own he's a culture hero now yeah he has a kid and the kid dies and we have to hear about the kid dying and he has like a wife and the wife's like more kids (laughs) yeah females am i right And he's like, no, but then she's like, but think about it. And he does. And he's like, okay, more kids. This this works out. His wife, Tree? Is Tree the name of his wife? I think so, yeah. Or was Tree their kid? Oh, I don't remember. The early Andalites all have very simple names like tree and sky and, and water. Yeah. And they communicate with a series of hand gestures and some sort of empathic projection, which I thought was a real cool sort of prehistoric thought speak predecessor. Yeah, that was interesting. It was an interesting uh, perspective on Andalite uh, evolution. We we also learned that the Illumist names the Andalites Andalites, which seems kind of fucking presumptuous, but okay. <laughs> 
I don't think I don't think the Illamis gets to choose the name of the species for them, but boy, did he! Uh, well, he sure did, and you know, I think he may have been the the example that they all inherited their proclivity to get it on with other species from. <laughs> you think he's the genetic founder of that andalite trait? He is the original. Hey, why don't I become this species and get my fuck on? Yeah. Have some babies. They learned it from watching Elamist. They they did, and boy, did they take that message to heart. You know, that's beautiful. The Elamist gave them some things. I have this this idea that Ciro is descended from the Elamist. Okay. Because he sort of makes the same mistake that the Elamist does, just going around and thinking, well, I know best for these people. I'll <laughs> I'll give them some stuff to uplift them, and then it, it bites him in the ass. And it's sort of the... I, I think if that was true in canon canon, it would be a sort of a, a period on the end of the sentence about the cyclical nature of the mistakes that are being made and the violence being inflicted. Hmm. Time is a flat circle that the Elamist is outside of, and uh, the, the, the son always inherits the sins of the father. Yeah, that's interesting too, because after he, the Illamist propagates with his wife, who is named Tree, I look it up. Cool. That was correct. Uh, after they have a bunch more babies and he goes back to his ship, by which I mean unmakes his Andalite body and restores his full consciousness to his ship body. Uh, he goes around like planting, he's a, a fucking Johnny Appleseed of life around the universe. He just, every time Krayak destroys uh, a civilization, he like plants two new ones on two new planets and just spreads the counter-destructive instincts that way. Yeah, he makes the Pemelites to uh, assist with this. So yeah. he sort of has that same, uh, instills that same thing in them, go and go and seed planets. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, tie-in to the ancient astronaut thing that runs through science fiction. I thought for sure, because they, they do end up near Earth eventually, I guess later we'll get there. I thought for sure that Illumis was going to be like, and then I put apes on the Earth and humans evolved from them. So you're all fucking welcome. Not that I would thank you, Illumist, but okay. But that's not what happens. We'll get there. No, and he didn't create the Andalites either. He just named them. I'm sorry to say, Jenna, that this does appear to contradict your excellent, excellent theory that the Andalites use morphine technology to design their own bodies does it though does it though i they're prehistoric andalites they're stone age <laughs> dudes primitive i mean this whole book is about civilizations getting destroyed and then refinding their footing and going forth the illamist's whole culture was destroyed and he still moved forward with his life and i think the fact that the andalites have community and have names but still only basically have a language really supports my let's call it a theory and not canon if you want my theory is that the andalites had to find a new way of communicating after they found their new andalite bodies and so it, it makes sense that they would appear de-evolved because their their form of communication is so comparably primitive to modern day andalites but i think you'll find that that just supports my theory if you don't think about it too much yeah well what happened to the morphine technology then they didn't rediscover it again until the 60s i don't know you know you know you know brent they had batteries in atlantis i don't know if you've heard of atlantis it was a real island and they had batteries and then when it sunk we lost that technology and didn't discover it until 1999 so i mean <laughs> which one of us is the fool now brent you're right i hadn't thought about atlantis i blame the lemurians for sinking them. <laughs> 
let's move on from this character I've created. <laughs> no, no, I want to investigate. Uh, I want to investigate Eric Von Daniken, conspiracy theorist Jenna here that you've created. I, I want to dig a little. I want to scratch the surface and sort of sort of get down in there. <laughs> I don't have. I don't know if I have any more. Listen, the point is that the Andalites were way more advanced. That's why they didn't freak out about the fact that the Illamist had a gun and killed that thing with it. Because if you if you met another human and that human had some sort of technology that you were that was clearly murdersome, clearly murdersome. And also, so far and away outside of your understanding of the world, would you, like, wrap him up in your arms and, like, bring him back to meet your daughter? I don't think you would, Brent. I think you'd be nervous and afraid of him. But they weren't because they knew about guns. I think I think I would assume he's a wizard and ask him to teach me. Teach you guns? <laughs> Whatever you call your advanced death magic. If I'm that's what you call you it, guns. yes, guns. I'll learn. <laughs> they didn't need to learn, though, Brent. It was in their genetic memory. You, and, and you haven't read Dune. I feel like genetic memory is something that has become cliche, probably after Dune. Yeah, I think that was one of the, the early progenitors of the concept, but it might go back farther than that. I don't know what E.E. E. Doc Smith was getting up to in Lensman. Was that more, was those some made up words that you're testing me with? No. I won't get got, Brent. No, no, no. That's just science fiction <laughs> history I'm, I'm dipping back into. I won't get got. You can't get me. Okay. I, I won't get fooled again. We're, we're never fooled once. And won't, and won't get fooled again. So then uh, they they go back to their forever war, Krayak and the Elemist. And yeah. uh, Krayak gets way more powerful and the Elemist gets way more powerful and sort of distributes his consciousness amongst a bunch of orbiting spaceship bits. Which is also cool. Yeah, it's it's all very, like, the Elemist is, you can see where he got to the point where he is writing off whole civilizations that Krayak's <laughs> killing as just another number on the spreadsheet because he has no experience anymore to relate to that he's got hundreds thousands of minds in him and he's a multi-part spaceship whose consciousness is scattered amongst different places some of them in zero space it's i'm a little surprised that it can be written from tuman's perspective mm. at this point uh coherently yeah because he is a multitude yeah that's fair i i thought this was i wanted more i wanted more of a uh, spaceship fleet tuman I wanted that just to be what the Illamist was. Uh, but then the story goes another step and I was less interested in that step. I was I was very tired by this point and I was like yeah. there's there's like 20 pages left and he ain't got time travel yet. So yeah. something else is going to happen. It kept feeling like I was at the end of the book and then there, there was always just one more chapter to get through. Well, I knew there had to be more because there there ain't no he time travel yet. Yeah, there wasn't time travel yet. And I thought, okay, he'll build the time matrix and that'll be his thing and then the Elamist is the space with the time matrix and uh have been dope because well yeah anyway they don't really mention the time <laughs> matrix no i was hoping that i you know at the end of this book it wasn't a bad book it was a very good book i, I did enjoy it it was well written it was a lot of fucking weird stuff which i'm super into yeah i thought for sure at the beginning of this book and for most of this book i was really worried that it we were gonna pull back and it was just gonna be the illamist holding a snow globe that was full of the animorphs and it was like all just a simulation 
information that Animorphs are just part of his game and it's all fake. And I, Brent, if that had been what had happened, I would have turned off my mic. I would have dismantled my podcast setup and I would have left this podcast for forever. And you'd have had to have read and recorded all of the remaining books all by yourself or maybe with Val. <laughs> and that would have been a much different experience for our, our fan base. I, I mean, I might have just replaced the last few episodes with torrents for general hospital or whatever <laughs> whatever the soap opera with tommy westfall was saint elsewhere yeah that, that was one? it saint elsewhere okay. that was a can't believe i remembered that so many tv shows exist in that universe uh so i actually thought before before they were explicit that it was a programmed game i thought that the uh Ketrans were gonna be like fourth dimensional beings mm. who were actually doing this shit with real mm. civilizations as a game and that it was gonna be sort of a Krayak would be the the AI opponent that they developed that got away from them and then so they're all they're all just sort of like at the at the call center phone bank in heaven uh, <laughs> or in, in fourth dimensional space jacked in and projecting uh it did not go that way it went a very different way but so you can sort of empathize with the Capucins receiving those transmissions and being like wow look at these fucking monsters that we should definitely kill because they're killing just everyone yeah although i i feel like those aliens must not have tv at all though i mean they literally might not although if they can receive those transmissions one wonders what they're using them for yeah, what they're watching what they're watching it on yeah why they have that technology if not i mean tv yeah. might be a uniquely earth thing because when the yurks advance party oh, shows yeah. up there they think that it's star trek yeah, is for real documentaries filmed in real time yeah that might just be a thing there just might not be a lot of fiction out in the universe that's tragic it really is I mean, other than other than that one society that features the ghosts of fictional characters. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Krayak eventually lays a trap for the Elemist, and part of the Elemist's body, his distributed consciousness, gets sucked into a black hole and crushed. But part of him is in Z space, and there are bits of him still in real space too. Yeah. Somehow, this unique situation where a consciousness is distributed between these three different layers of, of reality ended up with him stuck outside of time. He knows that once he reveals himself that he's still more or less alive, once he reveals that he's more or less alive to Krayak, Krayak is probably going to replicate that accident, which I thought was also a very interesting angle that the Illumist just sort of uh, hangs back sees what's up yeah he spent some time figuring out his plan which he does not share with the rest of us because i still well i'll get to that in a second <laughs> so he makes his move and and moves earth prehistoric dinosaur land earth around in its orbit a bunch to keep krayak from just absolutely destroying it like literally like with with like a laser isn't it wasn't krayak just like going to blow up the planet it, it's like krayak was just perfunctorily destroying stuff <laughs> at this point like, his heart wasn't in it exactly like it wasn't there wasn't any creativity he wasn't poisoning asteroids it's it's why krayak and the elemist are sort of a joker batman situation here because without the other neither of them really knows what the fuck to do with themselves yeah krayak needs that that opponent to to match wits with to constantly lose to him <laughs> or he's just like well i guess i'll shoot him with a laser i guess i'll just kill everyone doesn't doesn't feel as good once you've trapped your 80th sim in the pool you're just like well i guess i'll just trap all the others there <laughs> i'm glad you extended the game metaphor to include the sims which is appropriate 
Now Krayak and the Elemist are extra dimensional beings outside of time. Yeah. And Krayak's like, well, fuck you. And, <laughs> and the Elemist is like, you know. No, fuck you. We can, we can keep doing this, but we'll eventually just collapse the whole universe in on itself. And Krayak's like, yeah, okay. And the Elemist is like, <laughs> yeah. but, but then we can't keep playing? Yeah, if we destroy everything, then we destroy ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, and Krayak's like, okay, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah. Uh, so they agree to play what the Elemist describes as one final game, but I don't know why he thinks it's the final game unless it just goes on forever, because in no way, if he wins this game, does Krayak just like shrivel up and float away. He's still there in the void outside of time. The stakes are questionable. I assumed there would be some sort of honorable distinguishing of existence if they can even do that because they are like god and the devil now like that's just what it is i don't know if they can unmake themselves but hypothetically i just assumed that whoever won after a couple eternities would just undo the other one i guess i sort of figured that the elemist's plan here is to just continue like sucker krayak into this structure of a game and then just use that as an excuse to constantly keep him from ending everything hmm. because without that sort of challenge he will just end everything and the elemist is not going to win but he is going to draw out the existence of the universe for as long as possible i like that I, I feel like at this part in their existence there they're so fundamentally just like a universal will like they're just they're just probability now is what they are in the universe they're just the likelihood of something to happen or not happen and one of them is making those things in a bad way and the other is making them in a good way but i reckon they're both probably doing a lot of good and shitty things probability has never been snarky to tobias but the elemist has so that's true. right there oh do you think do you think the Illumist has taken a liking to Tobias because Tobias is like a bird human? Because he's like a little bit, he's, because Tobias is the most transhuman. Yeah. And also the most bird. And I feel like the Illumist is like, oh, my boy. Also, if maybe, I mean, could hypothetically be like his great, 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 grandson. I mean, like, that's my canon now. Yeah, that the Tobias is Illumist's grand in some number child yeah absolutely the andalites are his okay. favorite and tobias is a yeah. wing guy who decided to be a bird and i think yeah i think he's descended from the elemist's andalite clone and if I you like think that. about it eric the chi is also sort of the elemist's grandson oh yeah because the elemist created the pemelites the pemelites created the chi and uh that's direct though yeah that one is actual canon and not just us canon. there is no removed there is no five billion times removed he is directly just yeah. Elemist grandchild. That's pretty cool. Okay. You never hear him brag like about that. that, though. I mean, he's done so much stuff. <laughs> There's a chance he's just forgotten. Honestly, he's like an old... Old doesn't even matter anymore to him. He's so old. I guess it's sort of implied that the Pemelites do not necessarily have direct knowledge of the Elemist. He just... Hmm. He makes them. He doesn't interact with them necessarily. He yeah, instills maybe. in them a drive to go forth and spread life. Yeah, that's sad. Eric has no idea. There's the epilogue where the Elemist tells the dying Animorph, um, you know, and that's that's my life story. That's me. You done good, kid. And the, the Animorph in question, who is still unidentified, says like, well, okay, but was it worth it? Did I make a difference? Did my life matter? And the Elemist says, yeah. And the Animorph says, well, all right then. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. 
Uh, the ending did get me. I know. The ending did the get ending me. The ending was real good. Because uh, it's like... It's like God is being like, you've actually mattered. And that's a relief for me as a reader to hear about these poor kids fighting this bad war. Yeah, but I have to wonder. See, when I read it, I sort of I sort of read it as the Elemist telling a comforting lie at the end. <gasps> like, uh, like, when, like when, spoiler alert, uh, when Wesley dies at the, in the finale of Angel and Illyria <gasps> pretends to be Fred for a yeah, few yeah. minutes. That fucked me up. Yeah, yeah, same thing. That's what I sort of read it as. It's like, yeah, you you mattered. Uh, because there's nothing he can do according to the rules of the game for them. Or he doesn't even think to do it because he's so far removed from a corporeal life form that like reversing time to save one is not something that occurs to him. But yeah, really fucked me up. Uh, I mean, on the on the other hand, I feel like it the, it might be for the Illumis that every they all matter like they all matter equally because they're all a part of this big old web like you zoom in real tight and you can see how this one little ant matters and so i feel like maybe that's my reading is that everybody matters so you read it as you matter to me no i i mean i do mean in a universal sense Mm. in that every everybody matters in a universal sense uh it's just that our contributions are all so minute that even if we mattered a great deal for an individual, that's still basically nothing. It's a very nihilist take, like positive nihilist take on this ending. The whole cosmology laid out by the Elemist Chronicles in the context of the Animorphs is pretty fucking bleak. Yeah. The entirety of existence is defined by war. Yeah, this book and among them, yes. It is an eternal war between Krayak and the Elemist. And that is reflected in all levels of existence past that. It's a very hermetic, as above, so below type macrocosm is the microcosm situation. And man, it's that's real fucking bleak when the macrocosm is the Elemist v. Krayak. Yeah, I guess so. Doesn't, uh, doesn't really matter one way or the other to me. <sighs> Jenna, why are you even on this podcast? I... I don't want to get into it. It'll make me distant and and weird. Okay. All right. Um, (laughs) So this will bring us back. This book left me with one burning question. Okay. Uh, Who is the Drode, though? How the Drode? Oh, Brent. Y'all forgot about the Drode. I forgot about the Drode. Motherfuckers act like you forgot about Drode. Forgot about the Drode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so who the Drode, though? the droid this is a good question the droids kind of got some powers right powers yes unless it's entirely krayak doing stuff for him when he snaps his fingers but that that seems unlikely given his whole like great gazoo mr mitzbiklik act it, it does seem very unlikely yeah it doesn't seem likely that it's like a clone body for krayak either that doesn't quite feel right that seems like it would violate the rules of the game because the elemist doesn't have an avatar of that sort that shows up really it only appears to them in person a couple times and that's true it doesn't take as direct action as the drip does that's true, and the Illumist... Yeah, the Illumist only ever presents himself. If he has emissaries, and he might, they'd never announce themselves as such. Who is the Drode? Yeah, who who the Drode be, though? Jenna, who who the Drode? <laughs> I don't know. 
Who be the droid, though? No. The droid, who do he th- be? Do you think we'll get an answer to that? I absolutely do not. Who's the droid? Can we... God. Okay, Applegate, can we... Can we have the... Can we get the Drode Chronicles, please? No, 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 Brent. I really Brent. So I gotta say though, I you am, don't know what you're asking for. I I know exactly what I'm asking for. I <laughs> I am intensely curious because in this book, since it focuses on the Elemis slash Tuman, Krayak just sort of shows up as uh you know an equivalent power level badass. Yeah. So we don't get to see all of his you know, doing push-ups in 800 times Earth gravity <laughs> on the way to Namek or whatever to, to get to this spot. I'm real curious, like, Krayak's story. How did Krayak end up as a cartoon villain? Yeah, that's a good question. I He does... Does he travel from a different universe? Is that what it was? Do you remember when he shows up? I don't remember if it was a universe or galaxy, but he did destroy all life in the place that he came from and then came to this one to do the same. Yeah. Which is a trope, for sure. Not quite as widespread i don't think at the time uh that this was written i feel like i don't know enough about that era of dc comics or x-men but that feels like a very much like uh thanosy what who's the dude who eats planets galactus galactus it feels like a very galactus thing See, i was kind of thinking the phoenix force Okay, I feel like this was still a pretty big trope during that time period. Uh, yeah, but it was pre-Mass Effect, so it didn't quite have the... Mm. Gamer heritage. I mean, Star Control 2 was out, though, and that basically was Mass Effect, but better. Fight me, internet. I'll fight you right now. <laughs> Actually, I've never played the thing that you said, so Star I Star Control I 3, fight me, internet. It's the best. Do fight him. Fight him on my behalf. Mass Effect rules. I will do a 120-tweet tweet storm about how star control 3 and animorphs are set in the same continuity and the elemist wow. is the entire arlu race and uh krayak uh, pushes through into this reality as the oars and that would be great because the oars are much more entertaining to talk to than krayak i still don't know who the drode be in that canon though more nonsense from our friend brent more <laughs> Formless, baseless nonsense from our good friend Brent. <laughs> you know what? Let me have this. <laughs> Take it. It's yours. So yeah, that's the Elemis Chronicles. It was... Yeah. Neither of us had a lot of notes on this one. No. It, 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 there's just so much of it. There's a lot of it that's very hard to hold on to because it's just... It comes and goes so quickly. Breakneck. Yeah, it, it it's so much uh, the Illumis narrating from 100,000 miles away, I- events that are happening on a very small scale. So it's just so broad. It, there's just not a lot to say. And yet we spent an hour saying things. <laughs> hey, you want to do some zero space transmissions? We got a couple. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we got this one um, November 27th. And I purposely avoided reading it until today because the first, uh, because the subject is spoilers read after Elemist Chronicles and before <laughs> Book 48. Because thank you. Published order is the best for this. impact. That's, this is from Austin. Thank you, Austin. Yeah. And so I held off reading this until uh, today when I finished the Elemist Chronicles. And uh, I like this and I have some thoughts, but, but I'll read it off. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. A preemptive apology for the long email, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> the Elemist Chronicles is one of my favorite books in the entire Animorph series, and I wanted to bring up my theory for what would explain an otherwise major plot hole. Ooh. The creation of the Time Matrix is never brought up in this book. We know that after Elemist absorbed a plethora of 15 plus species, he had to fuse his Ketron body to a giant machine to fully process the sensory intake of all of them. 
After facing off with Krayak a few times, he incorporated orbital pieces that weren't physically connected to him, vital to maintenance and or protection, but also were still mentally part of him. Then when he exited Z-space and entered real space near a black hole, only to be sucked into it, which I call, quote-unquote, non-space. Hmm. <laughs> I like that. He told many of those orbital pieces to stay in Z-space, run, or hide from Krayak's attack. Thus, by being simultaneously in Z-space, real space, and non-space, he accidentally created a new plane of quote-unquote all-space. Sidebar. Love sidebars. Imagine real space, (laughs) Z-space, and non-space as three parallel lines, with all-space as a single perpendicular line going through all three. End sidebar. (laughs) It is by inhabiting all-space that he has become a god but he also needs to persist in all three layers to continue to exist in all space. At least one piece is likely lost forever in the constant shifting of Z-space. Several pieces crushed into atomic dust by the black hole into the unobserved and undisturbed non-space, and the one piece left in real space is now known as the Time Matrix. Since it is still mentally connected to the Elemist, it has access to his godlike powers, but as it is only an orbital piece, it does not have a will of its own, instead relying on the emotional input of whoever touches it. Thank you for making your podcast and for reading this email. Austin. Austin, that's so fucking good. Yeah, it's, it's, I really like this. Um, and yeah. it makes sense since the, the Illinist exists outside of time that the time matrix would be sort of just popping up in places where it is needed. I, I like the idea that it's, it is a physical remnant, maybe the last physical remnant of the Illumist original deal in in regular space. And that's created this weird connection. That's so good. It's like a space satellite. Uh, Austin, that, that theory rules. And I think it very neatly explains why it never covers the Illumist developing the time matrix. Because if he had developed the time matrix before he became a an nth dimensional being, then he wouldn't have needed to do that in order to explain all of his time shenanigans it also makes sense just from like a timeline point of view where he probably could not have i mean i guess he could have made it after he was an all being but just seems unlikely i like the idea that it was he forgot or like he just didn't realize and it was like ah shit there's time travel now well that's on me it's the one piece that that krayak missed destroying yeah so what's the piece of krayak that's left is it the drode Is it? Is it the drone? Is it? Is it? Because Krayak was a planet, right? He he, a planet with a bunch of people living on it, but all of them are him. Not in the uh, Doctor Who, the Master Harold Saxon sense where all of them are literally copies of John Sim, but in the sense that like the father sense from this book yeah yeah. he's all of the so is the drone like the last inhabitant of planet Krayak? Yes. But because planet Krayak in all space now mm-hmm. the drode got those powers but because it drode has will unlike elemist uh time matrix then drode can can do stuff but because <laughs> drode just little bit little bit of krayak that's why he's a ridiculous ridiculous person <laughs> is this characters the character that you're playing now is that the counterpoint to my conspiracy theorist character the character I am playing now is I've been listening to a lot of uh, Mabim Bam, and I am <laughs> sort of unconsciously mimicking Griffin. Do we have other Z-Space transitions? Transmissions? Not transitions? That was a Z-Space transition into another transmission. Whoa! 
Yeah, we got one more uh, transmission from Zero Space. This is from Daniel. Hi, Fandalites. Been really enjoying your show. I've got a copy of Animorph Shattered Reality for the PlayStation 1, and I'm wondering <laughs> if you'd like to cover it. <laughs> if so, where should I send it? Let me know. Cheers. P.S. I can't stop thinking that the Andalites are America. <laughs> well, there's a good reason for that last bit, because they are. <laughs> can't we can't we can't yet we can't yet we can't yet um do you have a playstation i i i have a ps4 it does not read ps1 discs i have a ps2 that is supposed to be able to read playstation 1 discs it's the right generation to do that but i've never actually successfully gotten it to do that just frustrating because i have like metal gear and i've got like silent hill one metal gear metal gear metal gear yes Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solids, and and Metal Gear Liquids, and Metal Gear Plasma. I've got that one too. Revolver Oslo. It's a fucking great name. <laughs> yeah, is that your favorite morph? If you could morph uh, any weapon and an animal into one, what would it be? And would it be Revolver Ocelot? Uh, it would not be. I'm gonna need about forty minutes to go through all of the pole arms in the second edition player's handbook <laughs> to pick a ridiculous melee weapon. Uh, but the animal's definitely platypus. Okay, I'm a scimitar octopus. It'd be something like Glaive Guisarm uh, platypus. That's good. That's good, <laughs> Brent. That's a good one. Why platypus, though? Uh, well, I mean, all those all those pole arms are sort of like one weapon, but glued to another weapon, and a platypus is kind of oh. like one animal, but glued to another animal, so... And this will be like an animal glued to a weapon, yeah. so that's a lot of layers. Yes. it's a platypus on the end of a stick. <laughs> but for some reason... <laughs> It's a, it's a volge fork looser and hammer platypus. <laughs> that was good. Scimitar octopus though. Scimitar octopus is good. Uh, actually, real good because I can imagine your special moves in the fighting game that you're featured in. <laughs> just me. It's just me with all my scimitarms. Yeah, scimitar. Oh god, scimitarms. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. Oh, so good. Okay, Brent. So absent of not even having a something that can read a PlayStation One disc, which I don't is Bleem a thing still? There's EPS. I don't know. There's some emulator I'm sure that I could get it to work with. But I've seen I've seen YouTube videos of people playing that <laughs> game, and it, it looks very bad. It does not look good at all. <laughs> <laughs> don't you want to know for yourself? The answer to that can be no. It's difficult to decide if this is a nice thought or someone trying to trick me. <laughs> this is a monkey's paw (laughs) a monkey's paw at the end of a pool are you trying to trick me have i offended you in some way (laughs) it's cursed this is like the ring he has to have somebody willingly say that they will take it oh god that's right yes you've got seven days to make someone else play animorph shattered reality Oh my god. <sighs> Shit. Okay. Well, I think we've said all that we possibly can about the Elemis Chronicles, other than, like, if we want to speculate about which Animorph it is that's raging against the dying of the light here. Um, my only feeling is that it's not Axe. Right. It is a distinctly human voice. Yeah. I don't think it's Tobias either, because, again, it's not thought speech. But You think you think that the whole cons- conversation between the Elemis and the dying Animorph is literally verbal? No. Weren't there literally quotes? No, I mean, there were. There weren't, like, there weren't the thought speak yeah. carrots, but it seemed to me more like, like somebody calling out in their mind and then the Elemist answering. If they froze time and mm. then talked, 
in real world and told this whole story and then unfroze time and let them die. That's just a super <laughs> dick move. Super dick move. I mean, not outside the realm of possibility, but that's a good point. I guess it, it could be it could be Tobias. It does seem very Elemist, though. Like, that's so Elemist. That is so Elemist. He did name the Andalites, which is just rude. I, I just, I don't know. I don't want to guess. I don't want to know, Brent. They all live. They all live forever. Maybe I'm kings and queens of the planet, like in Chronicles of Narnia. Let's unpack that. Which one is Susan? Um, I don't remember which one Susan is in the original. Is she the older one or the younger one? Lucy's the younger one. <laughs> Susan is the older one who gets interested in lipstick and boys and thus is not pure enough to go back into Narnia anymore. Well, that's Rachel Obvi. No, maybe not. Maybe that's Marco. Maybe that's his transition mm. into being a bisexual icon. That mm. he can't go back to Narnia because it's a Christian world. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening to Fandalites. Next week, we're reading book 48, The Return, which is a Rachel POV. Yes, she's back. I'm looking at the image of this, the image of the book cover, and it's a weird one. She's just morphing into a buff version of herself. Brent, I need you to look at the cover of this immediately. We cannot leave this <laughs> podcast. It's super weird. You can see her abs through her tank top. Oh, you absolutely can. <laughs> she looks like fucking Stephen Amell right there. Good. This is my. I think this is my favorite cover, Brent. David B. Mattingly, you knocked it out of the fucking park with this one. Oh my God, it's very good. So, <laughs> so all right, we're doing forty-eight. The return. Uh, it's a Rachel POV. Thank you to everybody who uh, reached out to us for transmissions from Zero Space or on Twitter. We've had a couple of good interactions there. Michael Grant liked one of our tweets, which fucking killed me. That's it. I'm dead now. <laughs> rip uh yeah rip and piss the the fandalites account if you want to send us a zero space transmission i would do that now but don't wait on that because again we're getting precariously close to the end yeah you can email us fandalites at gmail.com uh you can hit us up on twitter at fandalites i still have a handful of Animorphs books if you would like one sent to you uh, we can sign the book itself or a little piece of paper that we stick in the book and we will mail it to you free of charge just because you know everybody deserves an Animorphs book uh, if you've got something that you'd rather direct to Jenna specifically uh, or me my Twitter is at hello it's Brent and yours is at the Jenna yes uh, Twitter's a garbage hell platform but we're on it so hit us up if you want yeah. <laughs> you can visit our website at fandalites.com or our sister site at andalitetruth.org. Thank you to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. And until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug. Nostalgia is a drug.